Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Highland, Associate Director here in the Energy Program. In this episode, we discussed the recent report from IRENA titled, A New World, the Geopolitics of the Energy Transformation. As renewable energy sources are increasingly competitive, they are transforming the global energy markets. Growth in renewables could change energy trade flows and is already changing demand patterns, especially in emerging markets where demand is rising thanks to economic growth and increased urbanization. What are the implications of this transformation for energy geopolitics and for the traditional balance of power in the energy sector? Eric Wernis, Senior Vice President and Chief Economist with Equinor, and Morgan Bazilian, Director of the Payne Institute at the Colorado School of Mines, both participated in the making of this report, and they recently joined my colleague, Sarah Ladislaw, to discuss the report and its findings. Welcome, Eric and Morgan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so, Director General of the International Renewable Energy Agency convened a commission to look at something they're calling, and it's the title of the report, The Geopolitics of the Energy Transformation, which by and large, um, there's a lot of transformations going on these days, but this one is fundamentally about um, higher shares of renewable energy in the global energy mix. Um, so I wanted to talk to you guys about, you know, the commission and the report and what kind of significance we should be taking from all of this. First, just, you know, uh, for the record, what did you guys, what role did you guys play in the report? Eric. Well, yeah, I'm Eric Wernes. I'm the Senior Vice President and Chief Economist in Equinor, and my role was that I was a member of the commission representing Norway, uh, but myself, I don't. I didn't represent, uh, represent my company, so it was an independent role. I was asked by by Arena and uh, and the Norwegian Ministry of Foreign Affairs to okay. represent the country. Great, and Morgan. Yeah, just just a clarifying point that it, it, it. I think it was largely funded by the governments of Norway and Germany. Just so you have and it in UAE. UAE and chaired by uh, the former president of Iceland. Um, my name is Morgan Bazilian. I was asked to be on something they called a research panel, which I think was something that uh, they felt important um, to, to to have the researchers who had been engaged in this kind of thinking. Uh, to support the work of the commissioners. So just to get to the premise of the report, which I think is really important, um, the, the report says, you know, driven by falling costs and therefore increased competitiveness and um, things like government policies to address climate change, energy pollution, air pollution, those sorts of things, um, the commission chair and the former president of Iceland said the following, I'm going to quote the report, um, this global energy transformation is already becoming a major geopolitical force, changing the power structures structures of regions and states, bringing the promise of energy independence to nations and communities, enhancing energy security and democratic empowerment. Those are some big concepts. Let's just lay it, what does the report do? Is it talking about a future forecast scenario of net zero carbon emissions, is, or is it just sort of looking at what's happening today, Morgan? Okay, me. Well, uh, rather than answering that directly, if you don't mind, because Eric can answer that that a little better than I, um, I think your point about um, the vocabulary and the big claims is an, is an important one. So it, throughout the report and throughout the discussion of this topic in general, um, we, we might need to be a tiny bit more cautious about 
um, claiming energy security reasons, uh, conflating that with energy independence, conflating that with uh, robust economic development, et cetera. So um, I think the report does go through all of those things. Uh, and from my perspective, the report, one of the most important parts of the report is not the report itself, but the convening of the commissioners around the table and to stake out the vocabulary that defines the space of the geopolitics. In other words, that there will be some changes and some of those changes in the energy transformation or transition will have geopolitical consequences, even though they're not terribly well defined right now and they're not defined entirely in the vocabulary of traditional academic international relations studies. Mm -hmm. So just a couple of thoughts not directly to your question, mm -hmm. Sarah. Mm -hmm. No, and, and from my side, I guess uh, what the report does is that it, it shows uh, the development trends that we see in parts of the renewable spectrum. Uh, it points to drivers following from that that will affect uh, geopolitical developments uh, and topics that have traditionally been lines of conflict that have been uh, uh, variables that have made politicians worry, whether it's energy security or it's energy dependence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and and uh, where if the renewable transition takes place at a sufficiently high speed, we could relatively soon mm -hmm. see some of these geopolitical um, variables or development trends change mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, with implications for for individual nations, with implications for, for neighbor relationships because we become dependent on each other in a different way mm -hmm. in the energy spectrum, uh, and with new both uh, sources of, of uh, development, sources of growth, but also new potentially new sources of conflict. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But where the overall conclusion is that to the extent that the renewable energy transition plays out sufficiently rapidly and in, in scale and scope, mm -hmm. uh, the overall conclusion is that the, it should bode for lower levels of geopolitical conflict caused by energy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a theme in there about renewable energy and the concept of the democratization of energy resources and that it shifts kind of a fundamental balance of power that we tend to associate with energy dynamics, predominantly because of the ownership of fossil fuel resources. It does focus a lot, and it's usually a cautionary tale on the role of fossil fuel producing economies and, and how they may fare in that future. There's a little bit of an upside on the gas side, but can you talk, Eric, a little bit about you know, how, how uh, you guys within the study in, and the study in general th thought about sort of the new challenges facing fossil fuel producing countries? Yeah, I mean, to the extent that the energy transition actually means a lower relative importance of oil in particular, but also gas and, and coal for that matter, uh, whether that means actually declining demand or just lower share of the overall energy uh, supplies. That means lower influence, lower importance for those countries that are currently the largest fossil fuel exporters. That will mean a changed geopolitical clout for those types of countries. It will be changed relationship with their traditional trade partners, et cetera, et cetera. And then how that actually affects each and every one of them depends on how well prepared they are, mm -hmm. uh, how resilient the economy is. And you could think about countries that are very different here, both both large crude exporters, both uh, both very very dependent on on on, uh, on fossil fuel revenues. One being Norway and the other one being Libya. Mm -hmm. 
But, but so, so there's something about the resilience of the economy. It's the, the industrial base that we have next to the fossil fuel exports. It's about the, it's about the, the regulatory mechanisms within the country, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and with that, then relatively speaking, those countries that are today most hampered, if you like, with their fossil fuel imports, mm-hmm. uh, countries like the small island states, mm-hmm. uh, uh, countries that have large fossil fuel imports, um, and at the same time, most countries in the world has a relatively large resource potential for renewable electricity. So mm-hmm. to the extent that you can supply your own energy with your own resources, you also get a very different um, position in mm-hmm. any kind of trade negotiations, mm-hmm. in, in any kind of power game, if mm-hmm. you like. And mm-hmm. that's what we point out, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. some countries will get a significantly reduced geopolitical influence mm-hmm. in that dimension, and some countries can will uh, significantly improve their position. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple interesting thoughts on that. I mean, one, uh, there's also on the on the resilience of fossil fuel producing economies and an energy transition framework. The IEA also did uh, an interesting report where Tim Gold, we did a podcast with him several months ago, talking about resilience strategies for, you know, uh, fossil fuel producing economies and in, in that future. They didn't really talk as much about the um, about the geopolitical impacts, but certainly about the sort of domestic policy and labor, you know, kind of implications of a, of a changing energy dynamic. So that's uh, certainly been a theme um, for, for the last uh, year or so. The, the other thing, you know, that you just said, which is sort of the relationship between trade and, um, uh, and energy, which, you know, we're talking a lot about these days in sort of the limits of um, – uh, using sort of energy and trade to solve, you know, particular problems related to to geopolitical dynamics. On the one hand, there is a benefit to uh, an energy security benefit to being less dependent on imported energy resources. But there's also a limit, as we're seeing in the current context of like the U.S. trade negotiations, about remedying trade balances through things like energy. And so, um, I thought that part about sort of the trade flows and the implications of what that can bring, but also in the current context of like the limitations of energy trade uh, in solving some other trade-related crises, uh, uh, to be a particularly interesting one. Hmm. So, yeah, but but a, a caveat I think in the current debate is that uh, well, first of all, uh, in isolation, being dependent on energy imports, it's not necessarily a bad if the alternative right. is providing energy at much higher costs. Yeah. I mean, the benefits of trade are there, irrespective of whether you talk about uh, wine <laughs> imports <laughs> or car imports or energy imports. Yeah. That's the starting point. But of course, uh, energy has a, has a very specific meaning in in. Uh, in countries, it's a prerequisite for growth and development, et cetera, et cetera. And it has traditionally been a source of conflict. Mm-hmm. And it's been, uh, there's been several attempts at or worries about energy blockage, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So that's why it plays a role. And, and, and the renewable revolution, to the extent that it actually happens, carries with it the potential for countries to actually produce more energy at competitive costs, mm-hmm. and thereby opens up the opportunity of, be, of becoming much less dependent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of choke points. It's not only about the energy sources, but it's also about the pipelines or the or the transport lines for energy that also might affect your security of supply, if you like. And just diversity of supply, too. Yeah, and diversity of supply. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Morgan, on the other side of the ledger, the report talks about this concept of renewable energy leaders. And I think anecdotally, at least, we see a lot about this in our current sort of contemporary conversation of what's going on in the energy transition, that certain countries are going to sort of capture a commanding height of the renewable energy space, that there's an advantage to that. And there's also a link between that sort of, you know, 
growing um, market for renewable energy and and critical minerals, which I know you've thought about a bit. Can you you know spend some time talking to us about what a renewable energy leader is and what that's worth? So if you have a renewable energy dominant market, at least in photovoltaics, that's China. They have almost all the large uh, solar companies there. And they have access to nearly all of the materials uh, deemed critical or not that you would need for the energy transition. And so that little piece of the narrative goes something like, well, we're going to have a lot more solar uh, made of things like cadmium and tellurium and gallium arsenide uh, and silver and other uh, minerals, as well as batteries need everything, lithium, nickel, cobalt, manganese. And China is extremely well positioned in those particular markets, such as they are. Um, that aspect of it is really interesting for two reasons. One, that we've started thinking about those materials as critical using the same metrics we used to use in energy security. In other words, what's the HHI index of the the market itself, in other words, how many people are producing or selling into a market, and what's our dependence on that particular commodity. But keep in mind that every single one of those markets is dwarfed by the transparency, the scale, and the liquidity of the oil market today. And so there's a long way to go to even get those things towards something we can consider markets. And so, yes, there will be some geopolitics on those. Uh, and, and we see that taking place with the two items I mentioned. Photovoltaic market is dominated by Chinese companies, and the minerals market for a lot of those uh, minerals is dominated by China. But it's not clear yet that either of those things has any actual geopolitical or hard geopolitical, if you will, um, consequences. So right now there's trading going on and the, the, they've, they've decreased the price of photovoltaics tremendously. The processing of the lithium has been economically efficient, at least for the market. So that's the take from what it was uh, and the fossil fuel-based geopolitics to, to what the new one could look like. But again, as Eric has said, what we're doing is drawing outlines or contours of what the geopolitics might look like. We don't have a lot of empirical evidence that those things are causing conflict or, or otherwise or alleviating it. No, it's. I mean, it's a. It's an important topic in the report as well, and and the conclusion from, the preliminary conclusion. This is a report that is an, intended for debate, and it's one of the first reports. So it's, it should be further worked, and a lot of more analysis to be done on this as well. But uh, one of the conclusions from the, from the commission is that uh, these new types of leaders, or these new types of trade patterns, these new types of dependencies that we will see in a renewable energy transition is much like, less likely to be maintained over a long period than in oil, they're, and they're smaller. Uh, there are some shifts here in terms of China could become uh, a leader in this industry as it is in most other industries, partly because of its size. Uh, and as, uh, and uh, the most important part of that is possibly that they will at the same time become much less dependent on crude imports. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they, the question here is replacing some of their energy with, with, with things they can produce themselves as well. So it's also that, l that, l that less dependence on fossil fuel exporters combined with a patent leadership, an industrial leadership, a resource leadership that could lead, these, uh, lead them into another type of position. But, uh, but uh, since renewables is, is about electricity, 
uh, we say that uh, trade in trade in electricity is much more reciprocal. I mean, uh, the, and uh, there's no not a molecule that goes in one direction. It's an electron that is that goes both ways in the system. So you you tend to be more more interdependent than only one one party being dependent on the other, which, which is one of the aspects of this. We think there is enough minerals around the world to at least to avoid the danger of ha somebody having a complete monopoly on some critical resources for a very long time. Part of this is also probably going to be solved by some of the some of the like cobalt or or parts of the, the the batteries that we have today. That if we become too dependent on on one supplier and the price goes up, then we can replace that with some other mineral. So that technological development as well will will lead lead this to be a much less single dominant uh, type of uh, type of game or play than than what uh, oil has been. So there's a, there is potential for conflict. We will we will also see new dependencies. As an example, a renewable transition, re renewable revolution, if you like, in Europe will lead to new interdependencies between the southern states in Europe, which will have a lot of sun and a lot of solar electricity. And an optimal solution there will be for them to export a lot of that solar electricity to the northern parts of, of Europe. So we will become much more dependent within a region, which is a new source of dependency. And probably more benign, and you're going to be, you know, less dependent on one country than or on one regime. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting because I think one of the so we did a study five years ago called New Energy, New Geopolitics, which looked as Morgan, as you said, at the the potential geopolitical implications just of the U.S. having a lot more oil and gas, right? And I right. think there was a lot of assumptions at the time that there were some very straight line things to expect from that reality, right? You know, a U.S. just sort of pulling back from the world and a whole bunch of other things. And and I think what, you know, at least from what we were concluding at the time was, one, sometimes energy trade flows are sort of like leading indicators of future economic relationships. Like it's always been kind of like the forebearer of diplomatic relations to have some sort of like economic relationship as a, and a, a reason to sort of go there. So those linkages that you're talking about that are created by energy systems is certainly something that, that we sort of, you know, understand and appreciate. But it's also hard to think about, you know, a lessen, lessening of dependence um, on, you know, trade flows, meaning that you don't have to deal with another country anymore. You know, it like it, it's sort of like a very old idea mm. about uh, a world pre-globalization, right? And there's just so much about particularly U.S. foreign policy in this context. That you, just, you don't get to do that. You don't get to just divorce yourself from certain sections of the global economy without some fairly serious consequences. Mm. The world doesn't work that way anymore. And so what was interesting is like the implications for economic statecraft, you know, that we saw in the context of, of evaluating just that portion of the energy transformation, I think sort of applies to this as well. I mean, there was a, a number of different things that the report talked about in the relationship. I think we just talked about the critical minerals bottleneck, you know, the, as being one of the things that might arise. The other one was just sort of like whether you can use oil and gas as a tool of foreign policy, you know, anymore, whether that's going to be as effective or as prevalent as it, you know, has been. Um, this idea of electricity cutoffs as a geopolitical weapon, as a sort of a, a not new, but sort of new uh, emerging uh, issue. And then things like biofuels trade, you know, whether that becomes sort of more fundamentally geopolitical than it's been in the past. I was, just, you know, wondering kind of what you, you thought about some of those tools of economic statecraft and whether we've got evidence of them going in one direction or the other. And and then, Eric, maybe you, you do have a day job, right, where you do the energy perspectives and you create scenarios and they include sort of an outlook on geopolitics that's related to energy transitions. Like, 
were there similarities between you know some of the conclusions in this report and what you see and do in in those in those kinds of outlooks? Yeah, that was that was many questions, but I, I, no, no, but I'll, I'll take the latter one first. Yes, uh, well, I mean, when we develop our energy scenarios, global energy scenarios towards 2050, we, we have one of them which is consistent with the two degree target. We call that a renewal scenario. Uh, we have one, another one which is called a rivalry scenario, we, and, and that scenario builds on, on the assumption that we cannot exclude that the, the current geopolitical situation that we see around us with, with conflicts, with sanctions, with protectionism, uh, with with um, not open trade for all types of technologies, uh, uh, worries about security of supply, depending on your coal instead of importing gas, etc., etc. We cannot exclude that that world continues. If it does, we can forget the two-degree target. In the renewal scenario, we think that one of the prerequisites for making the transition towards a sustainable energy future, the, the, towards much lower emission intensities, much better energy efficiencies, rapid development of renewables, replacement of coal in the energy mix in the countries where energy demand is significantly growing, like in Asia. A prerequisite for that is a geopolitically very benign situation. We have to trust each other. Uh, we have to accept imports of gas from Russia to Germany and Poland to get coal out of the mix, electricity mix. And we have to import, export gas out of Russia into China to, to take out coal in the electricity mix in that type of scenario. That only happens in a geopolitically benign scenario to the extent possible. So in that sense, this report sort of provides a bit of, sort of it, it, it completes the circle, if you like, because what it, if we're right in this commission, then the development of renewables will foster that type of development that is necessary for renewables to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. So you, get a, you can get a virtuous circle here, yeah. if we're right on both sides. So, so uh, then back to your question or your, or your reflections on, on uh, autarky, energy independence, and so on. That, that perspective, I think, first of all, is very dependent on the size of the economy yeah. and the size of, of your exports. And the United States is a very closed economy, believe it or not, but the size of the exports relative to the economy is small, like in Brazil, potentially like in China, because the economy is so huge, right? But representing a small open economy in Europe uh, and in our case, we export uh, basically three things. Three things: we export oil, we export gas, we export fish, and a little bit of supply industry services. Mm -hmm. And we import everything else. And we see the value of open trade. We see. I mean, just imagine what the Norwegian wine would taste like if we had to produce it ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so the, the, this whole thing about openness to trade, including energy, is to start with a very good idea. But then, of course, being a small open economy, depending on one source of energy, a pipeline of gas in, and you have a political conflict with that neighbor, puts you in a very vulnerable situation, and particularly in a, in a growing economy. And that's, the, that's been the situation with some of the Eastern European countries, which are open to trade, but, but are depending on one source of gas. Mm -hmm. And what do you do then? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you, you diversify your sources of supplies. You put in, in place, if you can, you put in place a regasification terminal for, for LNG, and you hope that the United States will provide you that gas at a cost you can afford. Uh, you, and now you also develop your renewable energy sources so that you become less dependent. Mm -hmm. And you also argue for the fact that we need more pipelines. Mm -hmm. so, so you build pipelines around. Mm -hmm. so, so, and in that sense, renewable electricity and the potential for every country to utilize their own resources is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the focuses here in, in this report. Yeah. Yeah, I, just to reflect on a couple couple of those things about the report itself. Um, one thing that that I said that s strikes me is that 
Although IRENA is not a United Nations organization officially, it operates uh, much like one. And in the UN, process is, is, is very important. In other words, the sitting around and going through the process of discussing among the member states, which IRENA has 150 or so of, um, is critical. And so while the content is, is largely um, looking to a future that hopefully or maybe will occur, the process itself was very powerful, I think, um, just as a process. And what it reflects is not only the need for good process in this area, but a certain confidence in the clean energy or renewable energy space. In other words, you would not even pose this question if there was not a sizable market, there was not a reasonable expectation of success towards clean energy. And I think th that contour is a really important one to, to, to couch this report. And the other one is that um, IRENA's membership is of those countries as a number of those countries is largely developing countries and, and, and that the energy transition, as we've discussed many times, at least in my opinion, is largely a transition of developing countries, mm -hmm. which is a very different transition than we're going to see either in Norway, the United States, or, or other places. And, and, and the fact that IRENA was able to, again, uh, couch the report in that assumption or that knowledge, I think, is a really important piece of this that you don't see very often. And and just to reflect on one other thing that, that Eric said is we are making the assumption that clean energy will roughly have a beneficial impact. It'll have some benefit as compared to the current system. In other words, the, the transformation would have a more democratic and a more peaceful overall connotation in some way. One, that's very hard to quantify. Um, two, we don't have evidence of it yet. Uh, and um, three, that, that connection, especially on the electricity side, if we assume a lot more electricity connection, there's certainly other possible issues that arise. And the report goes into some of them, such as cybersecurity, such as uh, the difficulty of marrying governance structures in countries that may not be fully down the road of having even the rule of law on one side of the uh, electrical wire versus the other one and how complicated the trade of electricity is from a governance and regulatory perspective. So there there are other things that could come into to place. I'm not saying that I doubt the assumption of a more democratic or peaceful part, but we, we don't have full evidence of that yet yeah yeah no and another aspect of of the transformation that uh, that the commission points to which will over time have beneficial consequences geopolitically first of all it's the i mean the, the potential that renewables relatively rapidly can provide electricity at relatively low costs mm -hmm. scalable mm -hmm. in parts of the world where there isn't any electricity and where the alternative would be large-scale grid-based coal-fired electricity or gas, depending on gas imports, would take a very long time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so, the, so it, it addresses some of the root causes of fundamental stability. Sure. And at the same time, as well, given that renewables is an absolutely necessary ingredient in a, in a system whereby we reduce the risk of climate change, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. also has that impact that right. by, by taking away some of the, some of the climate change consequences, 
it also takes away some of the causes of geopolitical instability, in particular for, for areas of the world that would be most harmed by climate change. Right? It's a really thought-provoking report, and I think you know what what you said about its mandate to sort of start a conversation about mm-hmm. thinking about the relationship between a higher penetration of renewables, the transition that we're all seeing in the energy system, and some of these geopolitical dynamics is uh, is certainly an important one, and and should be read by people who uh, who think about those issues. So, um, thanks very much, uh, Morgan and Eric, for taking some time to talk to us about it. And thanks for listening to Energy Three Hundred and Sixty. Find more episodes of Energy 360 on CSIS.org or on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy.